This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Romans 14. It begins on page 948 in your Bibles in, in the rows. It's also printed in your bulletin. Romans 14, 1 through 12. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, New City. My name is Ryan, one of the pastors here. It's good to see you all. The sermon will take about two minutes. The title of this sermon is called A Diverse Community. And of course, within a community, there are many different types of diversities. There's ethnic diversity. There's social economic diversity. There's fashion diversity. There's political diversity. And as Paul talks about here, there's even a diversity in food preferences. I have been in New City long enough that I have had countless meals with you. Some of you, I know, are vegetarians. Some of you are vegans. Some of you are on the Atkins diet. Some of you are doing the Whole30. Some of you are doing a Mediterranean diet. I'm currently on this thing called the Hobbit diet, which just means I eat anything, anywhere, anytime. <laughs> I'm hungry, by the way. Um, you may also notice that we celebrate different holidays. Some of you like Christmas more. Some of you like Easter more. And the Easter people are right. Some of you prefer 4th of July barbecue. Some of you prefer Thanksgiving roast turkeys. And just with a new city, we are more diverse than a church in Rome in food preferences and holiday celebrations. So good job. Keep it up. Let's pray and go to communion. Now, wait a minute. There's no two-minute sermons at this church. Of course, there's more than that. Of course, there's some deeper spiritual reality to play here. There's what Romans 14 is all about. What happens when our faith leads us to different opinions and practices? What happens when our faith leads us to different opinions and practices? 
That may be an important question to consider now more than ever. As we go through the series of remembering, of coming back together after a year of separation, there are many things that could divide us more than ever. We're in the last quarter of 2021, but it still feels like 2020 is not over, isn't it? COVID's still a thing. People still disagree about masks or no masks, vaccines or no vaccines. Our government seems to be more divided than last year. Many churches are still fighting over race and justice. I recently had a chance to visit a church in North Carolina, and I was talking to the pastors there. And they share the same challenges that many churches across the nation are facing. They've had a hard year. And other than the physical challenges of gathering in COVID tide, they had disagreements over race, over a divisive election, over COVID precautions. And at one point I told them that at our church, we don't have that many cultural warriors. And they looked at me like I came from another planet. Now by that mean, I didn't mean that we don't have different opinions or different divisions in our church, but they have not caused major divisions here. We may think that's because we're just nicer, be more gracious, have better temperaments, right? Wrong! <laughs> Romans 14 reminds us that without God's grace, we could easily divide over any of these things. That's how John Stott describes this chapter. These are high doctrines for humble duties. High doctrines for humble duties. To truly love people who disagree with us, we have to do some deeper theological reflections. So I'd like to look at our passage backward today, from the back to the beginning. And here's what I would like to talk about. Identity, inclusion, and impulses. Identity, inclusion, and impulses. So now complete this sentence for me. In your mind, just use the first word that comes to your mind. I am a, I am a blank. I'm a blank. What comes to your mind? Some of you think of your role in your family. I'm a father, a mother. Or you may think of your profession. I'm a teacher, I'm a doctor, I'm an engineer. Or you may think of your affiliations. I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican. I'm an Eagle Scout. What do these identities give you? may give you a sense of purpose, explains why you wake up in the morning. Maybe a sense of pride. I'm a bug guy. I'm American. may give you shame. Especially the first thing that comes to your mind is I'm a Bengals fan. No. <laughs> God bless you. Now let's change this up a little bit. The last person, think about the last person from the church or your family that you had this, 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 uh, a fight with. What comes to your mind when you come to this sentence? He is a blank. She is a blank. What comes to your mind? Idiot? Fool? Liberal? Pastor? And what Paul tells us in this book of Romans, in the first eight chapters, and again here in Romans 14, is that we are the Lord's. We are the sons and daughters of God. And that identity defines us And changes us. Verse 7 says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or or whether we die, we are the Lord's. 
Jesus redeems us from the grip of sins and he cleanses us with his blood. He died to take our place on the cross and he gives us new life. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And that price is the life of the Son of God. And what does that mean? What does it look like for us to be the Lord's? I've shared this with you before. You know the show Sherlock? Now, even if you haven't seen it, you may have known from other books and stories and TV shows that Sherlock Holmes is a highly intelligent person, but is terrible with emotions. In other words, he's, he has very high IQ, but very low EQ. And in season four of this show, Sherlock's friend just died to save his life, and Sherlock was falling apart. Now, at first, it seems that he was just feeling guilty about her death. Until the end, Sherlock said something very profound. He said, In saving my life, she conferred a value on it. That's a currency I do not know how to spend. In saving my life, she conferred a value on it. That's a currency I do not know how to spend. And Paul says the same thing about our lives. When Christ died for us, it conferred a value on our lives, a divine value even, and it transforms how we live. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. It's easy to forget that, isn't it? When we are in a heated argument with somebody, when our pride is being wounded, when we invoke the name of Jesus to support our arguments, it's easy to forget who we are in relations with him. It's even easier to forget that Jesus died for the brothers and sisters that you disagree with. He died for the sisters who voted for Trump. He died for the sister who voted for Hillary. He died for the New City family who sends their kids to public school. He died for the New City family who sent their kids to private school. Once we were not a people, rejected by God and dead in sin. But now we are God's people. And I'm probably the only one here who had to actually get the chance to pick my own first name. I did. I had a Chinese name growing up in China, and that was the only name I went, I went by for years. But when my family moved to this country, I adopted an English name, you know, just to make you all easier to talk to me. And my uncle first gave me the name David, but I didn't like it. I didn't think it was cool enough. Now, of course, I regret it because my wife's name is Abigail, and that would make us Abigail and David like in the Bible. But I didn't think it was cool enough back then, so... I gave myself the name Ryan instead. But it took me a while to get used to the name Ryan. When people say, hey, Ryan, I forgot they were talking to me. And some of you married ladies may understand that feeling when you got a new last name. But now I've been using this name for 22 years. And all my closest friends call me by that name. My wife calls me by that name. Now I see a different phenomenon. When occasionally someone calls me But my Chinese name, like a relative in China or my mom, I had to do a double take. That's really me. That's what I was known for for years. That's my deeper identity. Now, why did I tell this story? Well, because some of us may be new to the Christian faith. You are still getting used to this new identity as sons and daughters of God, and you're still growing in it, and that's okay. It will take some time, but we need to press into that identity. And some of us have been Christians for a long time. You know the Bible well, you know all the arguments backwards and forward, 
But from time to time, it's good to have someone remind you. You are a son of daughter of God. You're the Lord's. You're bought with a price. And I hope you're reminded of that here every Sunday morning. But it's good to remind ourselves each time we get into an argument with somebody. And as sons and daughters of God, that makes us a family. As we've been talking about in the last few weeks, it makes us into a loving community, a serving community, a worshiping community. Just like any other families, the church family is also a diverse community. It includes a diversity of people and diversity of opinions. The church that Paul was writing to in Rome had both Jews and Gentiles. And within that church, they have different opinions about food restrictions and holidays. And some of these opinions were cultural. Some of them were religious. Some of them were both. Now, mind you, these are not convictions that strike at the central core tenets, doctrines of our faith. It's not, these are not about who Jesus is, how we are saved, whether Gentiles should be circumcised, what appropriate behaviors regarding sexuality or idolatry or how to practice the Lord's Supper. But these are matters, those are fundamental issues that everyone has to agree on. But Paul is talking about disputable matters, disputable matters that we can disagree on, even from time to time, argue about. Now, these are things that the Bible does not give a clear right or wrong answers to. Or some people call them matters of conscience. Matters of conscience. Food and holiday celebrations were some of these disputable matters in the past. And I talk about some of them currently in the present, but here's a list. Now, alcohol consumption, whether we should drink or not. Baptism, immersions, or sprinkling. Gifts of spirit, whether it's gone or still exists, is spiritual, supernatural gifts. Political affiliations, Democrats, Republican, neither. Public education, or private education, or homeschool. A worship style, traditional or contemporary hymns, or Bono, Bach, or Beethoven. And this list doesn't even include all the stuff we argue about during COVID. And this is just... Some of them. And you probably had a strong opinion on all of these issues or you followed them with other people before. And that's okay. The Bible is not saying that we shouldn't have any opinions. It's even okay to say that some opinions are better than others. Now Paul makes that judgment here. He calls some people weak in faith in verse 1. Now he's talking about people who only eat vegetables. And why are the vegetarians weak? No, it's not because they only eat vegetables. Paul says they're weak in faith. Imagine if you took a test and the teacher gave you a hundred, a perfect score. But after that, you got your test back and you say, you know, I'm not so sure I did well enough. I'm going to beef up my answer just in case. So you spend the next few hours adding a couple paragraphs to each question. That would be strange, right? You already got a perfect score. And when we believe in Jesus, his righteousness becomes ours. God sees us perfect because of Jesus. We're justified not by our own actions, but by Jesus' works. You've already got, you're, you got 100 already. We're justified, and nothing we can do could add to it. But for some, they still felt like they need to keep the food regulations in the Old Testament. And because it's hard to determine whether an animal is kosher in Rome, 
these brothers chose to only eat vegetables. And to just to give you a sense of how big of a deal this is in, in ancient time, look at Peter in Acts 10. Remember Peter, he was an apostle of Jesus. He personally heard Jesus declare all foods clean. And he was hungry and he was praying at the roof in Acts. And while he was praying, he saw a vision telling him to kill a bunch of birds and eat. And he said, no way, Lord. I have never eaten anything unclean in my life. He still wanted to keep the food restrictions. What does God say to Peter? God says, what God has made clean, do not call unclean. Now, on one hand, the food regulations of the Old Testament was such a big part of their religious life that even Peter stumbled over this question. But on the other hand, God says it doesn't matter anymore because Jesus already fulfilled the requirements for you. And the thing of the, the Pharisees in the New Testament, they probably didn't just wake up every morning scheming, <laughs> how can I make life miserable for people? No. They were concerned about making sure that there's no way to break the laws. Make sure the food is clean, so wash your hands. Not just your hands, but also your elbows and your shoulders. You may think of some modern equivalents. The Bible says drunkenness is wrong. And some may say that just to be saved, don't touch any alcohol at all. The Bible says we should be good stewards with our money. And some may think that just to be careful, we shouldn't even carry any debt. The Bible says we should be pro-life. But some may take that as the, we can only vote for pro-life candidates. Or we make that the priority issue over all the other biblical issues. And when we think of someone being weak in faith, it doesn't always mean that it's a lack of self-control. Sometimes it could be a little bit too much self-control. There's still a bit uptight about following the rules, just in case. They're not enjoying all the freedom that the gospel offers us, and that's why Paul calls them weak in faith. And we are sons and daughters of God. And the family of God includes a variety of opinions, and these opinions may reflect different levels of maturity, and it's okay to evaluate each other's opinions and encourage people to grow in maturity. But if you're someone who is strong in faith... You're someone who knows you're right. You know that even Apostle Paul agrees with you. What is your impulse? Let me tell you what my impulse is. My impulse is to look at the weaker brother, maybe roll up my sleeves a little bit and say, you idiot! Even Paul says you're wrong. Now listen and learn from me. No, our impulse is to look down on the weak, Right? Paul says in verse 3, the one who eats tends to despise the one who abstains. Because I know I'm right, why shouldn't I make sure they agree with me? They should become strong like me. Now I think this impulse is actually true for everybody, not just for the strong. Not because we are all equally right, but because we all think we are right. There are so many times I would leave a dinner disappointed because certain topics didn't come up. And I missed the chance to tell people how wrong they are. (laughs) And what are the impulses of the weak? The more rude-oriented folks. Their impulse to judge the other side 
as reckless and impure. Paul puts in verse 3, the impulse of the one who abstains is to pass judgment on the one who eats. Now, the word judgment here is not just to have opinion or to evaluate. It means to condemn, to place people on trial. It's an action that ultimately belongs to God. But they're not being careful enough. They don't care about God. They're taking too much liberty. Or we pass judgment on someone's faith based on certain actions. They voted Democrats. They can't be pro-life. They drink. They don't believe in the Bible. He has a tattoo. He's not a true Christian. And my wife said something pretty profound the other day. She said, people now use obscure political positions to gauge whether someone's a true Christian. And I think we've all passed judgments on others on, about that. And what Paul says here to both camps, to the strong and to the weak, is don't do it. Don't cave into your impulses. Your core identity as sons and daughters of God changes your behavior, and there are at least four reasons why you should change your impulses. First, change your impulse for God's sake. Your brothers and sisters are God's servants, not yours. They don't answer to you, and they're not, you're not in a position to judge them. When I was growing up, I used to be, I was usually the best student in the class, both in China and here, and I was definitely the teacher's pet. And because I was such a good student, I would start telling people what to do. And I was shocked that I was not more popular. <laughs> of course, I found out later that nobody likes the teacher's pet, not even a teacher. <laughs> and you may think, you're being a good person just by making sure everyone's living up to, the, to your standards. But it's not your business. Now Paul writes this before his own master that he stands or falls. So give them a little space. Now second, change your impulse for Christ's sake. So what Paul says here in verse 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. And that doesn't just mean to tolerate him or to accept him. To welcome him as Christ welcomed him. Don't put others down because of verse 4 says, For the Lord is able to make him stand. Early in Romans 8, Paul says, There's now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The God has redeemed your brothers and loved him. He is the Lord's, their sons and daughters of God, regardless how you feel about them. So get on board. And third, change your impulse for their sake. The verse 5 says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. If you want to get your friends to agree with you on any of the issues, they have to arrive on those convictions on their own. Now, for example, let's say one of your friends doesn't drink at all, doesn't drink alcohol at all, and you want him to appreciate the blessings of wine, so you invite him over for dinner, and you pour some red liquid in his glass, and let's say he likes it, and he asks for more and more, and finally you say, aha, I got you to drink wine, and you liked it. Well, that would do him no good, because he's now changing his behavior without a deeper change in his conscience. 
He may feel guilty about what he has done, or he stops trusting you. If he wants to see someone change their behaviors or opinions, sometimes you have to play the long game and give them space to change. They have to change not for you, but for God. They have to believe it's the right thing to do. And Paul is very gracious about this. There's an obscure sentence in Philippians 3. And Paul says, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. If you believe this, great. If not, God will reveal this to you. So give them some time. And lastly, change your impulses for your own sake. Paul says at the end, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. If we usurp God's power to judge and condemn and despise our brothers, one day that role will be reversed. We will be judged too. And the truth is, however wrong we think other people are, they can't be more wrong than our former rebellion against God. If we have been forgiven such great debt, can we be humble and terrible to others? Now think of all these issues, all these things that divide our governments and our society and our families. No vaccines, education, money. Almost all of them are disputable matters that we talked about in Romans 14. Now what kind of message can we send to the world when the things, the issues that divide our governments and our families become minor differences within the church family. Because we're united by something much deeper. We're sons and daughters of God and that identity changes our impulses toward each other. Now next week, Josh would talk, to, talk about how to live this out better. But let me just end by telling you how I was changed. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And when I first became a Christian, I was, I guess you could call a fundamentalist jerk. If people were having fun, I hated it. I had a friend who went to a PCA church, and he was charming and funny, and he danced and he drank, and I just didn't get it. But he would spend a lot of time with me. He would come to my dorm room almost every night and drink my tea and listen to my complaints about girls and church. And some of my other friends would say afterwards that Ryan Zhang was super quirky, over the top, but Javier was one of those people that just loved Ryan anyway. And because he would spend so much time with me, I ended up going to church with him. And slowly, my fundamentalist shell began to melt, and I learned to see the beauty and freedom of grace. You can't, change, you can't argue people to change. You can't strong-arm people to change, but you can love them to change. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And that's what Romans 14 is all about. You pray with me. Father, we thank you for your reminder that we are sons and daughters of you and that you've sent your son, Jesus, to purchase us with his life, with his blood. You make us into a family that we are yours. We live for you. We died for you. 
So, Father, we pray that you will help us to recognize that every day. Remind us as we get into heated arguments with each other. Help us to love one another. Have the strength to disagree, but disagree with humility and kindness. And to encourage one another in faith to grow in maturity, to spur each other on. And we pray that you would draw us closer together, unite us as a family, even as we disagree, and be a witness to the church of the love that transforms us. We pray all these in your son's name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.